0: Hey, hey, welcome to Horns Up. It's me, Animesh. And I'm Peter. And joining us once again is Temple of Void and True to Promise. Uh, it's not just one member. So today we have Alex, Jason and Mike. Welcome, guys. As just like last time, just so our listeners can identify everyone's voices. Can I have a quick round of introductions? Uh, we'll go in alphabetical order just to make it easy.
1: My name's Alex. <laughs>
0: uh, no. I'm going to go by.
1: Uh, this is Alex. So, the guy with the funny accent. That's me. This is
2: Hopefully. Jason. <laughs> I forgot my alphabet. This is, this is Jason.
3: <laughs> uh, this is Mike. Uh, this is what I sound like I'm the
0: nasally guy. So, yeah. uh, this is what he sounds like when he's not like, when he's talking normally.
3: Yeah, well, I'm not growling or doing de- you know
0: death metal vocals. Yeah, so as you guys might have known, or if you figured it out, if you haven't, let me just break it down. Alex is on guitars. Jason Pierce is on drums, and Mike Adodi is on vocals. Welcome, guys. Thank you for coming back to Haunts Up. Peter, you said you had the perfect first question. So,
4: what is it? Yeah, so prior to me hitting this record button, right, we were talking about working titles. And uh, first of all, you released your fourth album, Summoning the Slayer, a couple of weeks ago. So was it always going to be Summoning the Slayer? And what was the working title while you guys were working on the album?
3: Oh, we had like a whole list, Alex. And uh, yeah, everybody kind of contributed to.
1: Yeah, Yeah, you know what? We You're talking about sort of digital legacies and history and you know all the different tools that we use to capture thing while we're talking i might be able to find like the list of all like the working titles but prior before you hit record we were joking a bit more about the song titles because those are a bit more ridiculous than we came up with serious ideas for the album titles the songs you know when you're in the practice room you come up with something that is you know inspirational makes you remember what that song is that and i mean jason probably still has that whole board right like in your in your basement
2: yeah i have a whole board of how each riff was broken down like there'd be a certain section i'd say smashing quick or smashing sand to you know to to relate to how we're gonna go or you know it's pretty funny like we had one song called big cock
1: <laughs> oh yeah i forgot about
2: the relation to the big riff you know a big cock
3: <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah was. I, I'm trying to remember. But yeah, it was always like slowly we rot in paradise or something like that. Cause it's yeah, like yeah. here's this like think. this riff we were thinking like this obituary and this one mixed with this paradise Lost, you know, just kitschy titles.
1: Oh yeah, slowly we rot in paradise. Yeah, big cock came from um, relapse because somebody someone on oh some, yeah, I the, the big cock was riffs.
4: yeah, he, he <laughs> called
1: right. it, he said big cock riffs. That was his description. And we were like, that needs to go on the sticker. You know, like someone from talking about their own relapse band with big cock rips.
0: Yeah, I'm imagining that as a new sticker that comes pasted onto each LP or pasted onto each CD this album features. Big cock yeah. rips or parental advisory. Big yeah. cock rips. Oh, that
1: would be great. <laughs> that could be a shirt, parental advisory, big
0: cock rips. There we are again. <laughs> yep. Just like last time, <laughs> suggesting shirts. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. I do, so
1: I do have some of the some of the names for the album. Um it, it's I'm holy shit, there's so many. It's um insane. We Frenchy, have. A
4: little but I remember Frenchy.
1: uh one of the ones that we was making the top list. Mike, you like you came up with introvor
4: Yeah.
3: That
1: was that was one that you know that you had that was
3: that with. was the one yeah that was my big one that I thought I threw in the hat.
1: Um, Infinite death, flames of desolation, soul destroyer, horrific emptiness, enter the beyond, fires of chaos, spires of emptiness, dread citadel, into the citadel of dread, depths of desolation. I could go on and on. There's
0: like pages, wow. pages of this word shit. salad, word salad. But those titles kind of describe the feeling of the album perfectly yeah right because let's let's talk about the music why the fuck not right that's what we're here for off the bat the album left me feeling super 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 melancholic I know it's not an album that I can play in the background as such while doing other things because it needs attention it's super immersive and i'm guessing it'll become or it it already is starting to become a go to when i need to be just alone with my thoughts um have you heard of similar reactions
3: um right now i feel like it's kind of early to tell but i feel like you really kind of nailed it man that's yeah. I, I mean that's really all you can ask for it is you know what el we, we wanted a record that was an immersive listen like so much listening i feel like i, I might go I'm just, stop me from going on a rant here but I feel like so much music listening is very passive like it's very like okay I've got this playlist that was cultivated by this person that's all similar thing you know I mean it's like it's background music it you know you want you want an album that's going to actually draw someone away from that like you just described so that's it's actually a very high compliment thank you nailed it very perfectly at least how I would in my mind's eye like the album to be perceived you know that's how
1: i think of neurosis like to me neurosis is a very active listen and it's when i want to be alone and focus and really be immersed and go into some other some other land and at first i was like oh this sounds kind of depressive animesh because you you're talking about like you know how, how depressing it is and like i'm like man i don't need to be alone with it for too long <laughs> you know or you might uh you know you have some um, self harm thoughts or something but then Making the uh, neurosis comparison, it's the same thing. I mean, they're they're so in in your own head, you know, and it's definitely not feel good music. Yet there's a release in sharing that emotion, you know, with mm-hmm. an album um, and immersion was every record. We're trying to up the ante on the cohesion between the album art, the music, the storytelling, the whole experience. So. Like Mike said, it's a huge compliment and people pick up on that and they feel that it's an immersive record because that's that's what our goal is. That's what we're trying to do every time is to bring you into a world, you know, and we do what we can to to achieve that, you know, and, and make it more immersive from record to record. I don't know where we go from here, though.
3: Honestly, <laughs>
1: I don't know what yeah. tactic we have to, to pull.
3: <laughs> well, I think we're taking a little time off too. You know, like you said, just kind of let the album... Release, give it some time to breathe, sort of take in the feedback, take in everything that's going on to like enjoy the actual perks of having a label like Relapse, give it a push, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So it's like we've got time to kind of figure out what's going to inspire us and things like that. Like Alex, you've got, you know, some music you're doing too, you know? So it's like, everybody's kind of wrapping up some stuff. I think it's, uh we worked hard between the two albums cause they were so similarly close that it's like, it's nice to probably just take a little break and get re-inspired, figure out where you want to take it. Cause yeah, like, like you said, Alex, where do you go from here? You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I feel like we've pulled different levers, you know, like, with the artwork being four panels, with connecting all the songs with the cave ambiance, with having like the synth and the sound design on, on everything. So we, it was like, we ticked every box. I don't know what other boxes we have other than trying to tick the same boxes again, but do it, you know, better, you know, or, or different. I'm not sure what else.
0: It's, it's pretty clear to anyone who's listening to this that you guys have given it your all, right? And that shows, um... Which then leads me to ask, is, is summoning the Slayer the um, the best or the most on-target description or, or example of what Temple of Void should ideally sound like? Or is it just a product of the, of the time that you recorded it in? I'm curious to hear everybody More on the land position. Like, Jason, what do you think? Yeah,
2: I feel that this, this record was a representation of where we were at the, at that point, of, of of writing it, all of us together in the room, Alex and Don doing their thing. I feel like it's maybe the state of mind that we were all in, came out in the writing process and the song structure. You know, I don't feel that, like, this record is like, this is now the TOV sound. I feel like this is just progression of who we are as artists musicians and who knows where it goes from here but i think it's it's definitely a mindset of where we were at that time in my opinion
1: i I agree but I, i think it's it's a mixture of both because every time we do a record we learn from the prior record and we take what works and we move it forward and then we try and you know do it better so i think there's a lot of things that we learned and brought forth and each successive record is built on the shoulders of the prior ones. So I think if I was going to let anyone hear TOV for the first time, I would definitely say start with summoning the Slayer. To me, it's, it is the most complete picture, but we couldn't have gotten there without the other three. You know? And I love all of them equally and you know, whatever, but I definitely think there's areas of deficiencies, quote-unquote, in the other ones. That we were able to rectify and improve upon to get to this one. And yeah, I don't know, you can you can see that. I mean, we could bore people and talk about like I guess what they were and, and how how we laddered up. Um, but I definitely think the production, without mm-hmm. a doubt, like people will like the the muddier, more lo-fi production of, of the prior albums, but that isn't intentional. That's like if the means that we can afford and you know what we have access to when we're, if we could have had like arthur risk from day one we would have you know if we could have had we could have been flying around to a different studio and had like a bigger budget from get from the get-go we would have went for the sound like from the day one you know hmm. so i definitely really like where we went with the production
3: that's a good way to put it i feel like uh I I also, too, like, we wouldn't be where we would be, like, without kind of doing things the way that we did with what we did. Like, I actually really fondly liked recording at Mount Doom and all that. I feel like I cut my teeth there, too, because I I think at that point, like, when we cut of Terror and the Supernatural, that was the most uh, probably in-depth as far as like recording, cause it's like everything else that I had done prior, it was like, you know, friends' basements or going in or going into the studio for like one day and cutting something, you know, like real quick, like this was like a multiple effort, like multiple day, you know, or at least doing, you know, we did it like over a weekend. I want to say we were, I, I don't even know how long it took to record the first one, but it's like, you know, everything just kind of built up. I felt like by the time we were with. Arthur to work with him as like an actual like transactional producer and stuff like that I think we you guys definitely like were there and like mechanized and regimented and you know I mean you went there as pros and you tracked as pros you know and he you know worked his magic getting it set up and it's like basically you know you want to get it to the point where you just hit record and it's good to go you know I think all
4: that kind of built up too you know so since we're talking production right Personally, I enjoyed and I like how Alex kind of put it, the cave uh, kind of sound. Like I was calling it like the atmospheric sound because if you kind of pay close attention and if you're listening to it just like only and doing nothing else, you can kind of see that kind of seep all across the album, right? Like all the way from behind the eye, all the way till even dissolution. honestly, right? It's all there in there. And I want to understand because... You're talking about working with the producer. Was that like a very conscious, deliberate thing that you kind of wanted to add? And what were the references that you were kind of using for this sound? Okay, I'll, I'll bore you a bit. Um, so we've had um,
1: sin from the first album and it came up in a few songs. When we got to album number two, uh, we had it in there, but I felt like there was more we could do with it. So when we got to album three, the, I thought, let's put synth on every track, you know, because we've, we've got it. It's working, but it's, it's not loud enough in the mix. Like there's still a refinement. There's still there's something in there we can improve upon it. So the improvement was like, let's put it on every single track. So that was sort of like a, a mandate. But mm-hmm. instead of having Omar, who does the synth on every track, I brought in Meredith, who's someone I used to work with. And she does sound design. So we did some songs with Omar, some with Meredith. She did sound design, and then I did one track. And we got the mix just right as far as I was concerned. I thought the mix was like right on the money for the world that was. And when I heard synth or sound design in every track, I felt, to me, it felt very cinematic. And it added this layer of atmosphere because so many people use synth. But we were using a sound designer too, you know, like someone who works on commercials and movies. And the, the sort of goal with her was to treat this like it was, like you're scoring a, scoring a movie, like you're scoring a, a sequence, you know, which is very different than scoring like, um, like a soundtrack. You know, it's like it, this is a completely different approach. So I think that's pretty unique to have a sound designer working on an album instead of a movie.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: when we got to album four, it was like, well, it worked great. Now it's fundamental to our sound. What else can we do? And I think Brent might have had the idea about the cave ambience, you know, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think Brent came up with that idea. And so um, Meredith worked on doing the cave ambience. And then when we gave it to Arthur, I think he was the one that actually put it throughout the entire record. I don't think we had the message. Necess- I can't remember. I, I don't think we had the vision of, of stitching all the songs together at first. But then when he did it, I was like, Oh shit, that's great. Like that, that was awesome. And it might've been like his idea might've been a miscommunication, but it was awesome. And I was super into it. So that became, like you said, you're kind of sailing down the river. If you close your eyes and listen to the, or if you look at the artwork and just listen in headphones or whatever to the music, you can almost picture yourself on that boat or getting out of the boat and walking through all four panels of that artwork and hearing the drips and the, the noises. And so that's, that's kind of how it all came together was learning from prior albums working with people outside of music so to speak you know and approaching it like cinema instead of approaching it like or approaching it like multimedia rather than approaching it just like you know guitar riffs and, and drum beats and stuff
0: okay um let's talk song structures because this is very interesting um You've got repeating choruses on "Death touch. You've got songs which don't have a chorus at all. Give us a perspective on the songwriting process. When and why does a song need a chorus? And how do you guys end up structuring out stuff saying that, okay, now let's repeat this X amount of times or this song needs it to be repeated X amount of times, etc.?
1: Who wants to go first (laughs) because i'll talk about everything so you guys
3: um i will say from perspective of the vocalist in this i mean i'm usually kind of the the last stop when it comes to like me doing my like adding my touch to things and uh so it's like when we were kind of going through the songs and as they're written, you know, they're generally shared and whatnot. And the song that became Death Touch, it was like I could tell from very early on, I was like, Oh, this one's gonna be probably the big one. Like, I can already tell. And it was just the way that the song was structured, it was very traditionally structured. And I was like, I could throw a chorus in here, like I could technically make this in here. And and that was kind of the intent behind it, is it's like, okay, well we'll do it. We'll see how this goes. You know, it's like, like go with it. This is what my gut instinct, I did a lot of what my gut instinct was like writing wise with it, but yeah, like that one, I felt like, okay, we're, I'm going to definitely make this and give it traditional song structure and give it a good, try and write a catchy chorus and give it something and make it hopefully the lyrically relatable, you know, and things like that. So from my perspective on it, like that felt it demanded other stuff. You could get in there and it's like okay well this th- there's not the repeating parts and you know this lends more like this will make me feel more like a story where i'm going to be kind of narrating something versus like having like a repeated traditional song structure it's really relying on like kind of what they're vibing so it's like i don't know i i feel like something about death touch when you guys were writing it 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 worked uh it kind of expanded on like leave the light behind like the things that we touched in there and actually took it in. I don't know. I think even further.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we have, we have no rules. I think would be the best way is we're not prescriptive that um, certain, you know, songs should have chorus and verse and intros and outros. Like there's a bunch of elements that you can use in a song, intros, outros, bridges, choruses, pre-choruses. You don't have to use them all all the time or or have any kind of formula. And that's what keeps our songwriting organic and fresh and not trying to, you know, you're not writing for anybody other than yourself. It allows us to write some songs that are more pop oriented as far as structure goes. And then other ones that kind of ladder off of them, like the riffs kind of ladder together and take you somewhere and don't have as many repeating parts. I think the ultimate um, test is that it should be memorable. And like, there are plenty of songs out there that don't have traditional pop sensibilities that are still memorable you know um i mean could you imagine if like bohemian rhapsody they're like oh there's not enough like repeating parts in this song you know like (laughs) you know they they did who cares right i mean they wrote that song it made sense and it's in movements you know and i think some of our songs have more of a movement approach to it like a beginning i agree you know and that's fine or just two halves or something but as long as yeah. it flows and it's catchy. So a yeah. so, so couple of things. Kind of
4: things. First, I didn't expect uh, a Queen reference to drop in, in this interview. Uh, but but exactly. the second yeah. thing is uh, with, with that touch, right? For, for me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you felt this animation, but it gave me that whole like kind of paradise, paradise lost vibe. You know, that entire uh, thing, just the repeating chorus and stuff like that. Was that a reference at all? Did that cross your mind? Sure. Was, was that the big cock paradise lost? <laughs> <you know>? No. <laughs> no, that was That was one that you
1: haven't heard actually. That was um that's going on an upcoming split that we can't talk about just yet. Ooh, about.
4: Okay. I, I- recorded I an extra. And that's probably
2: like one of my favorite songs too.
4: i love that song is this the same smith we've been discussing since our last interview (laughs) because i feel that we were this one who knows well we did at least we did
1: we did revel in flesh so that came out yeah (laughs) Um, yeah so probably not this is i don't know
4: okay Okay. so okay here's a set of questions for each one of you right and uh Mm. let's start off uh jason oh no no. (laughs) how much can you lift bro <laughs> <laughs> I I think A lot. that that'll be part of our outtakes. But uh <laughs> what what's something that you've learned uh, from the entire uh, summoning the slayer recording process?
2: Oh you know, I that I well, I mean not that I learned that I know I I love playing music with these guys. I love what we produce. I love uh I love being in this band, number one. But what did I learn? You know, I don't. That's a very, very good question, man. That's a very, very good question. I, I don't know. I have to really ponder that for a minute. Can you? Can you come back to me?
4: Sure. Okay. Yeah, I want. I want to hear. Okay, so let's let's go to Alex then. So the last time you actually told us that you guys write fast riffs and then slow them down. Is that a technique you used uh, this time also?
1: Um, I'll have to, let me think back to all the riffs on this. Um, I definitely know we did that on the world that was. I'm trying to think about these particular, oh yeah. I think actually behind the eye, um, honestly, like that opening riff was a lot faster. When I initially wrote it, it was like, you know, like it was definitely like a faster one, and we had to bring that down, down, down to get it to like TOV speed because it's just Mm -hmm. kind of fun, sort of gymnastically to kind of move your fingers like that and kind of get get into a groove. It was fun to play fast, Um, but again, I'd, I'd have to really like nothing's jumping out to me as another one that I wrote that was really fast, and then got slowed down. But I know we did it on the world that was.
0: Okay, cool. Okay. Jason, we'll come to you. We'll give you a little bit more time.
2: <laughs> I love it, thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Personally, yep. I love the vocals throughout, man. That that spacey, re- reverb heavy vibe, it really shines through. Um, what's the thought behind it? and Talk to us about like the production tips or tricks that help made that kind of an idea into reality. Because it must have been quite a strain on you, I'm guessing, certain parts.
3: Well, that's kind of the thing, is okay. Um it, it's been a learning process over over the years because this is really the first band I and I feel like I've I've like kind of gone into it with other things but it's the first time that I've actually done vocals really in a band like seriously in a band I kind of stepped up to do vocals in uh, my first band but that was just kind of out of like necessity at the time but like to come in here and do things solely as a vocalist especially doing a different kind of vocal style something that I've never really done before and it was a learning process for me but I, I kind of threw myself out of my comfort zone to do it And I feel like listening to the demo versus listening to the last album, I really do feel like Arthur captured exactly what I wanted. Like he knew. And it was the tips and tricks like there are none. It literally like I came in and I tracked like a dry run. I think of Death Touch, the first one, and I was like, okay, that sounds good. Like I I remember you guys saying that you had uh, there was like a pretty uniform reaction when like right when the first vocal part hit when you were in the sound booth.
1: What about the mics though? Like you could maybe, um, we, you did have a learning about mics on the European tour, right?
3: Oh yeah. Know? No, I definitely learned. Yeah. About that. that. Um, so yeah, mic mic wise on it. I mean, I, I basically know more mics from a recording standpoint and things like that. Mm-hmm. As far as like mics, you know, it's SM 58. Why not? I had a Sennheiser one that I brought on tour with me and, uh, they, uh, you know, I was like, oh, if anything happens to it or whatever, you know, but uh, the guy Are, who was our like tour manager, he was kind of going through and it's like, well, no, they get the SM58, the SM58, like it definitely made a difference between the two. Like you could tell performing with it because some nights like they had that, and I brought that like just if I wanted, you know, to use my own, but uh, eventually we had gotten one uh, SM58 beta and it made a world of difference. Cause I know like, I assume it's kind of the same dynamic as like an SM7B or whatever, how that's very ideal for like recording vocals. It's kind mm-hmm. of the same thing, like something about it. I don't really know as far as from like the actual, like uh, science behind the sound itself, you know, the timbre of it, if you will, but like. There was something about it where it was like, wow, this made things significantly easier. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm sold on what I'm going to go and buy and actually use as my, like, you know, the mic I bring to shows. So I guess in in that regard, that worked. But as far as the actual recording, uh, I, I think I wrote down in like... You know, with a band thing, I pulled out my, you know, my memo pad and I like wrote on my notepad uh, what the mics were. I think that we recorded because I remember it just right off the bat, as soon as we hit that first part, like over the song, like, he, you, you know, just set where it was at with the scratch recording. It was it sounded amazing. So it was like, you know, there was not a whole lot of tips and tricks. It's whatever. Arthur had it dialed in before I even walked up and took my first breath.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was easy. Okay, cool. Jason, I, you know, I will say
2: what, what I have learned, though, is I, I come from a, like, a punk rock drumming style. So fast, hard, you know. I've learned over the years playing in this band to be very methodic, you know, and kind of caveman, but having a groove throughout everything that I do with these guys who are laying down. You know, and I feel like, you know, what I've learned is to have my meter be on point, no matter what, and not always trying to rush the song and just having a groove to it. I think that's what I that's what I've learned, you know, about myself as a drummer in this band, if that's kind of where you're going at with the question. But I mean, that's what I've learned. And and, and in terms of the record, um, I was just so insanely comfortable at that studio with Arthur. It was the most comfortable experience ever. I, I just sat behind those drums. Everything sounded insanely amazing in those in those headphones. I even said to him, "I go, this is the greatest headphone mix I've ever experienced in my life, like ever." And I think it just made made me playing as a drummer for the record that much better.
0: Hmm. You know, it sounds like Arthur was the uncredited member of sorts who really helped summoning the Slayer shine right You know, I we think got there this, he's
1: all over the album yeah. <laughs> so we gave yeah. him yeah. credit
0: yeah we, of we, course
1: we no, got no. there that
2: night and we, we <laughs> set I meant my like, drums yeah. up that night but really you know, we set my drums up that night and he's like you know let's just throw let's just record and we just got there and oh, it was wow. like all hey, right, this is crazy okay let's see what happens
0: good producer yeah I picked it's up so that you
2: got a good ear
3: yeah
0: Mm. Yeah, man. Okay, cool. Let's change tracks. We have to talk about dissolution. Um, what's it about? And I mean, no disrespect, but why is it on the album? Um. <laughs> no disrespect,
3: like... <laughs> but, but WTF? No disrespect. <laughs> all right,
4: fine, fine. All right. I mean, okay. Can, can I add one thing before we get into this? Right. I mean, no, it's fine if you grew up in like the 2000s listening to like a lot of those black metal where literally first track intro last track outro right this kind uh-huh. of took me back so like if you had this in a way and I'm pretty sure this probably would have been discussed if you had this at the first track then it makes sense but then when you have it as the last track you're just like Wait, did, 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 and especially no. with digital files, right? You're like, did, did I get the wrong file mixed up or something like that? It would yeah.
1: not make sense at the beginning. That that's why you're not in TOV because we, <laughs> <not put that, laughs> we would not put that. We would not open up
3: the record.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, no. But Mike, take it away.
3: I I thought it fit at the end. In fact, I it was kind of one of those things where okay, uh, with me. Personally, too, with Temple of Void, with every album, I I want to try and at least do something that I've never done previously. Like it's the same thing with me getting into doing Temple of Void as a vocalist. Like you throw yourself out of your comfort zone, you try something different, and you just kind of throw it to the universe and see where it goes. Because it's one of the things where it's like, okay, it, it's my art, and I'm going to do it. And if you you don't like it, that I. I mean, I did it for you. I hope you appreciate it. But, like, I ultimately did it for myself and what I want. As far as lyrically, I mean, the whole album is kind of designed to be up to your own interpretation. Like, it's very much an album kind of centered around the human condition. And uh, I I feel like some interviews kind of take it and run with it. Like, I wouldn't say that it is conceptually has anything to do with like the pandemic, but I think the pandemic was kind of an inescapable thing in a lot of our lives. And I think it made it very hard for a lot of people. So like there was this sort of like misanthropic air to just life, especially at that point, which is during when the lyrics were all written for this. So I don't know. It's just kind of the, the concepts of things. I'm trying to think how I actually kind of got to the concept of, uh, of where it was but uh like what it eventually became but it was like you know you're doing you know this is a time where you're isolated like you're here with your own thoughts and it was just sort of uh i think that was kind of the prompt that started behind the eye because behind the eye was actually the first song i think i actually wrote lyrics for and i wasn't Mm -hmm. quite sure what the concept was at that point But as it kind of traveled through, it's like I wanted to kind of touch on different things, things that like we wanted to make an immersive album. And I think a part of making the immersive album is making it relatable. And and there was, I had seen somewhere where it's like, you know death metal is like rooted in its inaccessibility well I don't necessarily agree with that and like genres anything it changes over time and you know I would rather be on the team that tries to push a genre than the you know something that checks boxes like Alex said or plays it safe you know and that's kind of why it's on the album if that explains and I always you know you know if somebody brings it up you know they listened so you know, it was like rape and Desires. So that was on there. I was like, well, somebody brings it up. I know they actually listened to the album. They're not like, you know, lying to me or nothing. But, um, but yeah, it was, no, it, it was, was, was just really kind intentional of, one though. of like, Yeah. It was, and we, it was really
1: intentional to put it at the end. Yeah. It was, it was this come down, you know, like, yeah. Like true. Animesh said, like, this was a depressive, people have called it claustrophobic. Mike just said misanthropic. And it's so claustrophobic and so heavy and and so dense that it's this breath. It's like you, it's it's like you're holding your breath for this whole album. And then finally at the end, you get to exhale. You get Mm -hmm. to like come down from everything. There's maybe a ray of hope um, and it lets you breathe. And sort of, to me, it's this great way of just almost like a fade out, you know, like some sort of resolution. It's the final act. And I, when we're talking about like overall when learning from prior albums i think this is the best song sequencing that we've mm-hmm. ever done it's the one that i'm most happy with as far as like flow so I-, I love that mike wrote it and mike it was your idea to put it at
0: the end and mm-hmm. i love personally how
1: how it came out it's interesting.
3: yeah
0: yeah it's interesting you say final act because to me it felt more like an epilogue
3: Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. That's kind of how I put it with them. I was like, we haven't done that. Like, okay, yeah. we did an intro on Lords of Death. We did different things as far as like with me doing some sort of like acoustic thing or whatever. And I was like, okay, well, what's something that we haven't done? And it's like, well, we haven't closed an album with it. And uh, I kind of, I did a lot of uh, acoustic writing just in general like, during the, the pandemic. And so like kind of going through the pieces, this was the one that felt distinctly the most that could be Temple of Void and Mm so I like took the ideas that I had placed together with that and then I kind of completed it in the mindset of that's going to be on this album and uh, I kind of took some things because like Alex and Don and Jason too have taken a lot of liberties of like incorporating their outside influence your your z-axis you know kind of comparison And it's like taking all these outside influences and combining it with the death of doom. And it was like, well, this is kind of my opportunity because I actually like a lot. I'm, I'm a big fan of like seventies prog music, like heavy seventies rock. I know Alex is too. Uh, I like psychedelic music and, and a lot of that stuff. And so I kind of let a lot of the influences shine through on that. I like playing acoustic guitar a lot. So naturally, I like a lot of singer-songwriter music and stuff. Um, I'm, I'm selective about the things I liked, but I tried to take the elements of that sort of thing and put them together into you know this single song for it. And as far as the lyrics go, I mean really isn't anything that i can kind of talk about it's like but it's generalizations and trying to like find something where like if you read it it's like well i can understand i mean the song itself is like it's about fear and kind of missing opportunities by being too afraid or like uh you know like looking back and being too stubborn to kind of change things because You're afraid to like, just like shed your ego or afraid to, you know, and that, that's stuff that I think that anybody who's ever like felt lost in a relationship or like lost a friendship or lost you know, like death in that way, you know, death of some sort of connection in your life, you know, and things like that is, you know, I think that's something that I think is relatable. And like Alex says, it kind of ends lyrically almost on a, like, you know. Maybe things will be different. Maybe things will whatever. So in some ways, it's like that come down from just the oppressive heaviness of the rest of the record. And
0: Oppressive heaviness. <laughs> wow.
3: <laughs> okay. It's not for everybody. And if you don't like it, yeah. you can just cut the album off after transcending horror and pretend it doesn't exist. You don't even have to hit skip.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So you know what? We've talked... Quite a bit about summoning the slayer. Let's play a track from the album. Which one should we play and why? Let's hear some of that
0: oppressive heaviness.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you the, guys can just most, say,
0: hey, let's 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 play the solution and we'll do that. Yeah. The most <laughs> oppressive I think is engulfed.
1: You know? To me, that's that's the most hopeless and spiraling into falling into a well, if you will, of of despair um what do you guys think
2: i i agree i just i remember watching mike do the vocals for that and we were all every single one of us were like hands up (laughs) like holy fucking shit sorry i had to say but we were just like oh my god like that's it like he's it's that's it there's nothing else can be done can't go any
1: and then in. In headphones, Deep. Arthur, Arthur pans that um, mm-hmm. kind of back and forth between the, you know, the two sides. And that was a neat little kind of trick that he threw in that I, I like. I I know, to me, it's too. the most oppressive, so.
3: Yeah, the, the, the descending riff, like the really, re, you know, the main recognizable riff in it, you know, that becomes technically it's kind of the chorus. The yeah. Da, 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 yeah. Like that. It, it just begged for something. And I remember doing working lyrics with it when we were like jamming it uh, at practice and just going down, down, you know, because it was a descending riff and it was like the most, you know, obviously the first thing, like a lot of lyrical prompts on that made it because it was like, just kind of going with your gut on it as far as like what I felt with jamming the song and just kind of building around that. And it's like, okay, well that ended up being, uh, lyrically, you know, it's, it, it's a song about spiraling downward, like either shutting down or, uh, you know, closing yourself off withdrawing, you know, whether it's like, do you know, whether it's an addiction or whether it's, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you do it, but I mean, ultimately you don't, you don't solve your problems like they don't go away while mm-hmm. you're I mean, you may close off and you may like find yourself, you know, because it says an exquisite darkness. It's like, you know, it's almost like a positive, you know, where it's like you engulf yourself in it. You you shy away from your problems, but they're still there like at the end of the day or like when you come back, you know. These All right. um,
1: podcasts and interviews are great because as Temple of Void, we learn about what our own songs are about because this is where we hear from Mike <laughs> more than anything else. And like that was a really like I didn't know that like the actual descending riff, you know, inspired the descent, you know, it, like lyrically and stuff like that. So it's cool for I think me and Jason to hear this stuff. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I just, uh, I'm sorry Alex I feel like I'm very creatively private sometimes I, I, I'm I, sorry
1: <laughs> no I mean it's it's cool it's, it's interesting
0: it's fun to do this you know to, to bring this it. kind of stuff out okay here it is here it is InGalst So I've seen mixed reviews about summoning. Some people seem to love the vibe as it's a natural evolution. Some people seem to think it's similar to Metallica's black. I've heard, I've read that comparison. It's talking about basically being a bit more rounded, off the edges, more accessible. And that opinion has a lot of connotations attached. Um. What have the reviews got right, and are there opinions that don't resonate with you guys? Overwhelmingly, it's positive,
1: like without a mm-hmm. doubt. because I, I, I mean we all, I'm sure read just about everything that we can get our, our hands on. The thing that I, that has came up a few times is some people think that dissolution should have been the second last track. No one, Peter, said it should be the opening track. But um, (laughs) but but there you go. People have different opinions. Um, So some some people like totally understood and they get it and they they understand the come down and think it's perfect where it is. Other people have said it should have been the second last. Some people have said it doesn't fit on the album. So it's been like the most contentious, you know, like. No one said they didn't like it, actually, from what I've gathered. I think some people said it would have been great to hear a whole album like that from Mike, which I would wholeheartedly agree. I'd love to hear a Mike or solo. Um, So that's that's the one thing that people have talked about. But, I mean, I guess who cares? So I guess the... How do you say that they've got it right or wrong? Um, Because it's like subjective opinion. So Mm -hmm. it's all kind of... I mean, who cares that we're not here to argue with them. Like we know what our intent is and are we executed in our intent, you know, and put it out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But people have picked up a lot on the immersion that we're, that we're going for and like the feelings, because it's all about atmosphere. It's about how it makes somebody feel. And that's really resonated well with a lot of people. Some people have talked about the, um, the production and they understand that like, it's better and that's good, you know? Yeah. Um, And like we said at the beginning, if we could have had better production from day one, we would have. So people kind of like, they understand that and they appreciate it. Some people, they prefer their stuff to sound more lo-fi. So they want everything to sound like, they don't want bands to change and they want to sound like, you know, Mount Doom and wish everything sounded like Lords of Death. Um, They can just listen to Lords of Death if that's what they want, you know? (laughs) Like, so... But overall, it's positive. What do you guys think? I mean, Mike, Jason, you read all the reviews too.
3: Um. Yeah. yeah um. I don't know. As far as the, I mean, I guess uh, you know, if you want to look at it as Temple Avoid traveled to work with a producer. I mean. <laughs> I guess you could compare that to Metallica records with Bob Rock, Bob Rock on yeah. a much smaller scale, you know. <laughs> Milo goes to Mora Sound. I don't I don't know like <laughs> what I I guess, you know, I mean we worked with a producer, like clearly there's going to be uh I mean, I guess some degree of gloss on it, but I wouldn't like compare it to, you know, a band that attempted and created, you know, like one of the most like popularized like you know crossing over like metal band into you know pop music territory mm-hmm. you know i mean we're still an underground death metal band man like we play death yeah. Do. you know uh but i i mean whatever the criticism's valid i mean it's it's definitely a it's definitely a much more produced record than anything that we've previously done. But I think the songs on it are still very much rooted in death doom. They're very influenced, uh, especially on this one more than anything. I think just because the writing was feeling it more influenced. Everybody says the piece feel three and it's like, okay, well, that's been an influence since the beginning. I mean, we've always championed that, you know, so they're, you know, it, it is what it is. And I think we all strived. I mean, this is our one shot. Like we signed a relapse. We got a substantial label backing us. Like we wanted to write a good album. Like if we didn't want to write something that people could enjoy, I mean, we're not expecting, we're not expecting to blow up or get huge or I mean, do whatever. I think it's more in the intent of like putting out an album that means something to us and hopefully means something to others.
1: You know, I think the point of clarity too, is when we're talking about producer, um, we wrote all the songs and recorded them exactly how we wrote them like we didn't work with arthur, arthur from like a song structure perspective so mm-hmm. he's producing the record sonically he had zero input on any arrangement like we always come in do that ourselves and we just kind of hit record he just hit record and made it more high fidelity than we've ever had Got the it.
0: to record unlike bob rock
1: yeah i mean yeah
0: i genuinely think bob rock always just wanted to be in metallica (laughs)
1: yeah the
2: fifth yeah the fifth member yeah well also
0: i i I
1: feel like it was just like one review honestly that ever that mentioned like the metallica thing Mm -hmm. and if if anyone's like comparing anything that i do to the black album i don't take that as as an offense (laughs) i mean (laughs) oh <laughs> the black i mean it's not like he's that's not a bad comparison <laughs> but if the intent was like to get big or something then are you kidding have you heard mike's cavernous death growls all over this have you yeah. heard the riffs like just because it's a bit more high fidelity it's hardly like radio worthy you know like but it's yeah, better. we're not we're
2: not playing like funk beats i mean everything is still plotting and slowing yeah. and then like hex curse i mean come on yeah, that song. This song just is in your face from from point A to point
3: B. Well, that's a good point, Jason. I think that uh, that song especially is probably the most death metal song that we've done. We've today. ever written. And behind the eye is actually too. So I think we have two of like probably our most like straightforward. Could easily you know kind of lords of death vibes on there on this album. It's not completely absent from the influence or anything like that.
1: Um, Quite. I read a review I think Jason sent today that said it was our most death metal record. So, yeah, you know, like okay. people hear different things. Yeah, you know, um, it's all in the ear of the beholder, I guess. You know, like what they,
4: what they pick up, or, or, or because it's now a uh, higher fidelity produced the uh, the kind of headphones they have or what they're listening to. <laughs> Yeah. Or, it's, the
2: <laughs> or it's a relapse release I I, I don't know what to take is. but it's, it's yeah. I don't know but,
4: but but you kind of walked into this and why don't you take this one uh Jason because I want to talk about the whole relapse factor right I mean I guess that that was the big move because I love how you guys left us on a teaser yeah. the last time saying that oh there's some big news so uh <laughs> wh- I'm pretty sure what Confirm for me: Were the talks with relapse on the last time while we were having our chat, Alex? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, it was it was all definitely all
3: relapse, so though. I would say so. It was around world that yeah. Yeah. was, so.
1: yeah, yeah. We, we, we were pretty chatted, much done with yeah. the world that was, and then we're like, "Hey, relapse, we're done with our with our uh, obligations. Do you want the next one? You know, <laughs>
2: yeah."
0: okay okay we
2: feel very very fortunate so lucky they're amazing amazing people really truly from okay. everyone in that organization they really uh very supportive and they're very they're very into what we're doing and I, they're into everything that they're doing they're just it's, just a, it's a great label and that's not talking because we're on the label i mean it's just a great label
0: okay true um can you can you spill any beans on how the shift to the label has affected the business of the band be it in terms of reach and audience, PR, sales, even merchandise or something of that sort?
1: Um, definitely the reach is a lot bigger. And that was the whole point of going to, to relapse is definitely like when they drop something on their YouTube channel, you know, it has a much bigger reach than, than we could ever get on our own or on Shadow Kingdom. Um, anything they do just a wider audience distribution should hopefully be better for people you know in in europe and asia pacific you know just kind of outside of you know north america hopefully they can get our records and they pred- they made more of them you know mm-hmm. there's like six different colors you know of the, of the new record so they they pressed more assuming that they were going to sell more let's let's hope um they don't regret the decision to press. So
4: <laughs> or someone's someone's left with like the special vinyl with no one bought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
1: let's
2: hope that doesn't happen.
1: No, <laughs> I think like the sales numbers would have really impressed um, Shadow Kingdom. Um, and they're just gonna grow, you know, like from mm-hmm. from here because of the exposure, and yeah, I I really like that they have someone who works with us on um, PR opportunities in Europe. We got someone who works on like PR in North America, someone who does social media, someone who does video. You know, they have all these specialized roles and people looking out for you versus, you know, Shadow Kingdom was like a much smaller operation. It was Tim and then he had a couple hired guns, you know, that would kind of rotate, you know, for for different aspects. Whereas Relapse, it's a, they have a full-time staff, you know, so we feel like we have a whole team around us instead of Having to do so much ourselves, and uh-huh. it's been it's been great. And I echo everything that Jason said. They're just so they're into us for being Temple of Void. They don't want to change us. They just want to give us a bigger platform. Um, we we didn't move there for financial reasons. We turned down a larger offer, honestly, financially. Um, but we wanted to go with a, a label that respected us for who we were and could just give us like a bigger opportunity, you know, but it's not all about dollars and cents because they just, they want us to be a TOV and put their, their machinery behind us. And that's great. It enabled us to go to Philadelphia to record with Arthur. That's all we could really ask for. And they, they made a much bigger budget video. When I say bigger budget, it's not big by any uh-huh. stretch of the imagination, but bigger because we used to do, you know, videos in Jason's basement for like 500 bucks, you know, so or my backyard, you know, for like 500 bucks. So, um, yeah,
2: it's a great video, though.
1: <laughs> we, 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 we take that $500. And great. Yeah, we uh, we we do a lot with the 500 bucks, but they give us we got a, a jar.
3: Yeah, jar when it reaches 500, it's just it's got music videotaped on it. Yeah, <laughs> we reach our budget. Well, time to do another video. And
1: this time we got to go into relapse's jar, we didn't have to go into our own jar. Yeah, so that's...
3: exactly. <laughs> and that's it's a that's... much bigger jar.
1: Yeah, us. and they had an extra zero on the end, so it was easier for
3: us. To... That's how the golf got like written. We actually were trying to scrape the bottom of that jar. <laughs>
4: I I love the jar uh, comparison, Uh, but uh, let's shift gears a bit and talk about uh, live, because like while you're talking all about this, I was just trying to also think about like experiencing this music live and uh, what's happening on that front? When do you guys have shows planned uh, in support of the album release? No, nothing yet. (laughs) Nothing. we did we europe. Just, is that yeah, is that we we a did conscious did decision 14 shows
1: in europe yeah mm-hmm. yeah we, we did, yeah, we did 14 yeah 14 cities in 14 days you know so that was a big deal our first time in europe but after that like we had to do so much work to get ready for that then do it come mm-hmm. back we needed a breather you know so we're we're taking a breath we don't feel beholden to anybody or anything we'll do things when quote-unquote we damn well feel like it you know so when we're ready we'll do it and it'll be genuine you know um it would be nice to do some record release show some sort of support for it but i, I don't know we all have other shit going on like families jobs mm. you know just taking a breather after after all that and uh we'll get back to it
3: well yeah. thanks, think so I was going to say, on a personal level, as far as, like, our interpersonal, you know, personnel dynamics and stuff, one of the things I always liked about Temple of Void was everybody in the band had their things going and had, actually, their stuff together, so to speak, so, like... And everybody was respectful of each other's jobs and other things like that. And so we may not be able to do things in a lot of the capacity that like other bands can, where they have like a safety net where they can actually like tour or they could, you know, or they have a life that they've built to where they can, you know, do that sort of thing. Everybody in the band is kind of on the same page about that, but we all, you know, have at least enough freedom that we can kind of coordinate things and do smaller runs or do festivals or do things like that. So it works well, you know, as far as for that that goes and uh you know I like we were able to pull off you know the European thing and do 14 dates. I mean we had you know and it it worked out well for us to be able to do that in the capacity that we are and and personally like I'm okay with that like if I can maintain this capacity I mean you you'd love to see things grow but I'm just saying even where at it's at like there's a contentness that I have where it's like well I could at least pull a two week tour in Europe. I could do this. I could do that. So we can still do stuff to support it. And if we don't, if like things are going on, we have, you know, somebody's got a job thing or something like that, or we're laying low. We respect each other for that. And we're going to find ways that we do that. We are going to make it work, whether we take that time to write or we take that, you know, do whatever. Everything's very organized and it's very purposeful. And that's one of the things I do actually like about jamming with Jason and Alex and, you know, Brent and Don and, you know it works out well in that way
1: okay. i feel like
3: we're finally at a
1: point where we can take our foot off the gas i know it sounds like weird because we just put out an album you think you should put your put your little to the metal like go gung-ho but i feel like we're at a place where we're established enough where it's nice that we can take a break kind of kind of <laughs> just do what we need to do kind of off camera so to speak and then come back, re-energized, ready to rock, and not worry about external pressure. Like you got to play this, or you need to stay in people's, you know, on the radar and support here and support there. It's we got to do things at our own pace to make it manageable for us as individuals. You know,
2: that's why I relapse rules because they don't require that.
4: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that that's interesting. Yeah. That was yeah. a big. I mean, that's, that was a big
3: decision thing for me. I remember. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah.
2: I mean, I want to play some (laughs) shows. I want to play this weekend. (laughs) Just kidding.
4: All right. So uh, to kind of wind down, there are a few questions I had to kind of get off, right? Is uh, I actually remember last time, Alex, you brought up the term energetic doom. And I'm realizing we've brought quite a few of these terms uh, today, but uh, that's the context you use about uh, playing live coming off your European tour, is that still a uh, right adjective? And do you see the songs of Summoning actually fitting that tag?
1: Yeah, in Europe, we didn't get to play any of the Summoning the Slayer records because we toured in April and it came out in June. And mm-hmm. because it was our first time in Europe, we wanted to make sure we did like, you know, a third from the first album, a third from the second album, a third from the third album, so that people who liked everything, they, you know, they got to hear everything and they they weren't, annoyed that we only did one cut off of OTATS or something, you know. So it was equal representation. Um, And after the second show, I thought my body was going to fall apart and just completely give up on me. Um, We had never as a band, I think, done more than three shows in a row. And here we were doing 14 in a row. Um, I was concerned how Mike's voice was going to handle because, you know, you've never sang like, you know, two weeks in a row. I didn't realize that I was going to fall apart, like just a pile of trash, you know, <laughs> because normally when, we, when we play, um, we're so physical. It's, I mean, like it's Jake's so in physical. Trashes, like, I'm headbanging so much. It's just so physical, but you can give 110%, leave it all on stage. And then you go home and you go to something else like the next day. Yeah. You don't have to just destroy yourself night after night. So Justin, who played bass on the tour, he and I were both like, oh, we're not going to last. We're going to be like cripples by the time we're done with this. So we had to figure out how to temper, you know, our and and pace ourselves so that we didn't burn out, you know, on, on song three and then like kind of phone it in. So it was like, how do how do we keep it consistently, you know, going off without just fucking destroying your neck and turning into a ball of knotted distress and broken bones i had a limp for like well, 10 days or something after a well, second show i wrapping my foot up we had a nurse and a doctor on tour and jason was taking care of my my limp yeah
2: wow. so here's the deal though. we had to have a discussion though too because after the what was it alex third show the, the third show he alex had to sit me down he's like all right so listen <laughs> <laughs> you gotta play slower <laughs> 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 we haven't we haven't played in so long you know and I was just I mean I, and like the first couple of shows like the people were so like you know it was it was full-on close lots of people it was just fucking bombastic and fun and I knew I was playing faster and I, Alex is like yo these rips are so complicated and Mike's playing guitar and he's trying to sing and yeah so I had to cut back a little bit and then after that happened I think it was just
1: once he did, it was awesome. He talked about his. It was. Reaction. Yeah, like, it's not that the first three shows weren't good. We hadn't played since December 2018. We'd never played yeah. with Mike playing guitar. We'd never played yeah. with just one bass. And then new bass up. We'd never been in Europe, so we played these shows. And the first Germany. three, I was like, dude, you're on speed or something. This is insane. <laughs> like oh this God. is so fast. It was very energetic. But then it turns into mush, you know, like... Yeah. drifts like, like the... dead, You know, like, it just, it goes off the rails. But yeah, from four onwards, it was, he was right in the pocket, and we slowed it down to the right tempo. So,
4: yeah. Okay. Okay. And this, again, quick reaction or raise the fans. A couple of non-TOB questions here is, who makes the Warhammer models? I do
1: the Facebook page. So I pay, I do all the um, <laughs> Warhammer posts. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I... It's the one thing that like I try and engage with fans on outside of just like, buy our shit. You know, like, it's got to be other things. So I can't help but bring in some of my personal stuff because I know it resonates with people and people enjoy nerding out about comics or you know or anything yeah. that's adjacent, you know, that to what we do. And Warhammer definitely has like an overlap. So when I started posting some of that stuff, people dig it. We talk about stuff. A guy just today posted his Necron tattoo that he that he had. So I like that kind of engagement with fans outside of like being so honestly temple of void centric. It's nice to to go behind behind the veil right and kind of see who we are as people so
4: yeah i, I found that really cool so that's why i had to ask and uh fi- final question uh favorite albums of the year so far can we go quickly alphabetic order maybe again
1: oh you don't want to know what i'm listening to No, it's okay. <laughs> you know
2: what you don't want to know what he's listening to
0: okay two
4: people Alex. saying that why what did he, <laughs> in, gonna, I, I, I want to know what he picked up in Europe now. <laughs> no, like, I'm, like, tell him what he Dave said. The <laughs> um, we read things. the text?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I mean the last the last song that I listened to was Belinda Carlisle, "Heaven on Earth," like heaven is a place on earth. Um, okay, that's that's a classic. Yeah, I, I think it's it's <laughs> awesome. Uh, my favorite band that I've gone oh, into this uh, year is um Dark Blue. They didn't come out with a new record this year, but I just got into them this year, and I think Dark Blue, Star of the World is absolutely awesome. It's like sort of post-punk um, type of vibe, kind of gothy post-punk thing, and I absolutely love that record. Um, I would say the best thing that came out this year so far is the Liam Gallagher album. Mm. So that's that's actually a 2022 release. Yeah, so I don't know. You asked me about death metal, I don't know. No,
0: sorry. <laughs> I was just asking <laughs> you what your favorite
1: album, yeah. album was. doesn't yeah. have
0: to be death metal. Yeah, I think it's Liam Gallagher's new record. Okay. Who wants to go next?
3: Um, uh, I mostly, honestly, at this point, newer music and, and whatnot. It's kind of stuff that I put out with my friends on, on my own record label. <laughs> so a lot of that is like, my friends' bands and things like that. Uh, it may not be like extreme metal or anything like that, but uh, I have friends that play in a band called Locust Point. We just put their CD out, uh, Michigan Drag. It's their second album. If you like, uh, you know, like Trace Ombre's ZZ Top and Husker Doo and uh, I don't know, like Thunder and Lightning, Thin Lizzy and you throw that in a blender, you might get, you know, Something similar, I guess. But uh yeah, like that. Um another thing that we put out uh that I really feel strongly about is one of the other guys in Dystopian Dogs, Victor, who's you know, the main guy, uh, I would have to say, out of the three of us that do it. Uh, him and his brother, who uh, I was in a band with uh them at some point back then, but they uh they got back together with you know band of Typical people are friends from around here, but they have a, uh, they have like a power metal, you know, just like heavy, you know, heavy speed metal band called Prelude to Ruin that put out a EP called Ronin X Mortis. Um, you know, people that want to rave about like Megaton sword and like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff on this. It, I mean, it's, I, I would say it's like, if you like that stuff. I would rather listen to this stuff, not saying anything bad about that, but I think that this is a lot, a lot cooler, a lot faster, a lot by uh, the guitar playing is magnificent and they're my friends and they kick ass and they they like great shit. I can vouch for them because that's why they're my friends. And, uh, yeah, I would say those are the two big things that I've, I've really, really, really enjoyed. I liked them so much that we collectively put them out. Uh, we did a Finnish band called Terror Cross as well. Uh, I recommend checking that out. Okay. Jason?
2: Well, you know, I'm old, so I like everything old. So I haven't really heard much new, you know? <laughs> uh, That's gosh, not true. You, know?
1: you send me some, like, newer oh, post-punk stuff? And...
2: I like this band called Plosifs. I'm digging that. I dig that. I like this band. Uh, I'm looking at my i my, what I've downloaded recently. Annihilation Time. I've been listening to that. I did check out this band I've never heard of called Plague God. Okay, they're on they're on relapse, but and they had a video that was just insanely disturbing to me. So mm. I got that record and listened to that. But uh, other than that, man, the new Kendrick Lamar is really good. I like that. Mm. Uh, what else? Um, oh, Gorophilia. Listen to that record. Yes, make sure you get that. Lovely. And, uh, what's that?
0: No, I just said lovely. I yeah, love yeah, the yeah. fact that we're just doing these, to borrow the banger term, shout
4: outs. Yeah. Well, I'll, 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 I have a more sinister reason for doing this, but that's post recording. <laughs> We can cue them in. <laughs>
0: we're approaching that time of the year. I know.
4: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, what he's referring to and what listeners would already know is yes, we're approaching the half year point. Uh, uh, six months of the year will be going by, and that means it's time for Horns Up to do its uh, annual. Now, annual, annual. Now, annual. Whatever. <laughs> what do we call it? The best, best of, the of the year years. so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I don't think yeah. I've gotten any death metal this year. <laughs> I was looking at the last thing that I was going to give a shout out to was the Hooded Menace record, but that was like, um, that was 2021, I think. Yeah. You're talking about so, that, that, the Tritonius bell. bell. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So
4: after that, I don't know, man. Sorry. Yeah, I've but, been but, to sugar. but 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 if I have to give what we what we the points go to Jason. Yeah, I'm no, old, no. so I listen to old music. I think that's <laughs> that's, yeah, that's perfectly that's my bad. vibe for this
0: year too. And <laughs> weirdly enough, while we are doing our lists, what we realized is every year we end up adding more albums which are non-metal, and we've now separated out and we do like a non-metal list as well mm. because yeah.
4: That's what so, happens the end of the year. Like we do a 10 non-metal, 10 metal.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, Normally, man. like I,
1: I post like the top 10 record, like my, my top 10 records, you know, on, on the Facebook thing at the end of the year. And I don't, I'm not even going to have 10 that I listened to this year. I don't <laughs> think like, like death metal, like everything that I'm getting into is old stuff. I'm always going back. Like I had never listened to sugar before. And yeah, Eric, listen to that today at work dude like copper blue is i just listened i was listening to that at
2: work today um, it's so fucking good
1: dude i got into god dude. machine this year i don't know if you've heard oh god, god Machine, but they're awesome and the other one um so i talked to Lasse um from hood menace and this is like what people don't want to know that we Death Doom guys really talk about. <laughs> it's not Death Doom. <laughs> we talked about of course, yeah. You know, cats, guitars, and like pink guitars, cats, and um nineties music. Like he was getting me into like Dinosaur Junior and the Posies. You know, like I fell in love with the Posies. I'd never heard them before. And last days, like hey, you got check out the Posies. Unbelievable. I'm super into that band now. And so, just I got on a massive Dinosaur Junior trip. Uh, Lemonheads, so that's all the stuff that I'm, dude. Rage Against the Machine album, yeah. Who's here? Do I mean I, I, I? Of course, I. I listened to some of the stuff when I was younger, like at a time like Rage Against the Machine and stuff. But I'm always going back to that like '92 through '94. Like for me, that's that's the era. And so anything that comes out in that kind of time, all over it. Rediscovering oh. stuff that I used to love, discovering stuff that I didn't know about. But yeah 92 to 94 and i'm not talking death <laughs> metal i'm talking like alternative music grunge music like
4: but, um, but co- coincidentally you think about it that's what death metal kind of just like went down man right? 92 to 94 So you had all these others but yeah just, just, just to add to your point right i mean uh i can't remember if animation i have discussed this before but that was one of the cool things I discovered about uh, Fenris from uh, Dark Throne. Because, you know, Dark Throne okay. had that whole mysterious image. You had no idea and all of that. And then slowly over the last decade or so, he's been going online. He's been putting up these mixes uh, of mm-hmm. what he listens to and all. And what never fails to surprise me is when you listen to the music, like you think of this image you have of him. But he's listening to like a lot of these like 80s heavy metal and stuff like that. And it's so cool. Like I've also discovered quite a few bands uh, through his. And I'm not sure if he still does the vinyl rips and all of that. But it's more than 80s heavy metal because I mean, he's famous for that.
1: Like he has a Plastic Man tattoo, you know, Mm -hmm. like Plastic Man that's, you know, techno, you know. So, I mean, he has a fucking techno tattoo. Yeah, so. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of he might be doing the, the grim black metal but at the end of the day we're all like listening to all kinds of stuff and that's what influences our music if we only listen to death metal then our shit is oh. de- so derivative and you could just yeah. listen to any old band and it would all sound the same so it's important you could listen to record
2: happened. one two three and four would be the same record yep. yeah <laughs> it's
1: important that we bring all this different stuff into it or it would just sound like copycat and yeah. none of us are interested in that you know Okay, like TOV wouldn't exist if it weren't for all those 90s fans because that's from a riff writing perspective. That's where I get all the influence from.
0: Alrighty, I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to just say this out loud because this is what I've been thinking while we've been talking this. Um, we've taken a lot of your time at the moment. Let's not wait till the next album to have another chat because I want the next chat to be about Nineties music, cats, pink guitars, and just not about one another album. Let's let's just talk shit. Not shit. Oh, you, should, <laughs> you should get Lassie
1: on here too. Get, get <laughs> yeah, Lassie on yeah. here, make it a a Death Doom, you know round table. Yeah, round <laughs> Death Doom Round Table. Get Lassie when you call there. it a
0: Death Doom Round Table. That's yeah. not the kind
1: of chat that we'll end up having. <laughs> yeah. And we'll just talk about cats and pink guitars and bands <laughs> called the posies, you know, In the exactly. lemon. Actually. Exactly. <laughs> actually, definitely uh, we'll be off the table.
0: Let's make doom
1: <laughs> off table. And then
0: we'll talk about everything else. Cause we're, we're all the
1: same ilk, you know?
0: Yep. Yep. So, guys. Thank you guys so much for taking so much yeah, of time totally and sharing that man. with us. Um, yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope it was worth it. Yeah.
1: Awesome! Dude. Thank awesome.
0: you, guys. No, thank you, guys, for having
3: us. This was great. <laughs> no, I really look forward to the Death Doom Roundtable. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm down for that. I love bullshit. I'm down
2: for that. I'll yeah. talk '90s all day long. Uh, I graduated. We'll whenever, man.
3: I graduated in 1990, so talk <laughs> 1980s heavy metal. I'm right here, that. baby. I know it's it's all behind me.
0: So oh, yeah, hey, let's do it. Audience, hope right. that's something that you're Thank looking you forward to. Let us know if you are. As always, we are at hornsupport.com uh, or on Twitter at hornsupport. I'm on Twitter at asmoani.
4: I'm a trend crusher, and this was horns up. Horns up, guys. Horns up.